Hey everybody, thanks for being with us this morning. My name's Joe Hess and I'm the Caring Connections Pastor here at South Suburban. Just thanks for letting me share the message with you this morning. I've got a couple of Easter stories I want to share with you. Um, one happened a week ago Thursday, Monday Thursday. I'm working at home in my, in my home office, I'm working on some, some emails on my laptop computer and I spill a glass of water on top of my laptop. Um, I'm thinking most of you guys know this, but just in case you don't, apparently water and electronics don't go very well together. My laptop stops instantly. Um, and I quickly go to our desktop computer online uh, and to see if there's any quick way to fix this. And I do everything they suggest. Number one, place the laptop upside down, drain as much water out as you can. Number two, place it in an upside down V on a towel. Number three, keep it in a cool, airy, well-ventilated place. And number four, call your church business administrator and ask them when you do something stupid, is it better to be fired or to quit? Um, that last one wasn't in there. I'm making that up. But, but they did suggest waiting up to 48 hours before you try attempting to turn it back on. So this is Monday, Thursday of, of Holy Week, the Thursday before Easter. And I'm thinking, I'm going full Easter here. I'm not waiting just two days. I'm waiting a full three days. And this past Sunday, Easter morning, early, I get up super early. I, I finally plug in my computer, praying, praying for an Easter story. But nothing. No beeps, no sounds, no little light on the recharging cord telling me it's charging. Nothing. No matter how hard I press the on button or how frequently I press the on button, nothing's happening. She's not, the computer's not coming back to life. I know Jesus came back to life in three days. Maybe, maybe, just maybe it takes longer for a laptop to come back to life. I'm still waiting. Um, Easter story number one. Easter story number two. This Easter story is from John's Gospel, chapter 20, starting with the 19th verse. And this story takes place on that first Easter, that first Easter evening. And per John's Gospel, um, Jesus has only appeared to Mary Magdalene that morning. And then we pick up the story with this story. Again, um, John's Gospel, chapter 20, starting with the 19th verse. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Skipping down to verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is saying, basically, unless I see and touch Jesus, I'm not buying it. One of my favorite scriptures, really, it's one of my favorite prayers, is this, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Um, and maybe we can all relate to that prayer at some level, but that's not where Thomas is. Here's Thomas's prayer. I've been scammed. I'm not going to be scammed again. Nice try, guys. April fools. Fool me once. Shame on, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. And the story is often called the Doubting Thomas story. I think the story should be renamed the Honest Thomas story because he is doubting, but more than anything, he's being honest because that's how he feels, that's how he believes. For three years, Thomas and the others followed Jesus. 
They walked with him. They ate with him. They traveled on the dusty roads with him. He was always teaching them something new, a different way of seeing things. Sometimes he would teach straight out. Sometimes he would use stories or parables. Thomas had joined them early. He was one of the original apostles, Jesus' closest followers. And Thomas had not only heard Jesus teach and pray, but he had watched how Jesus healed the blind man and the cripple, how he intentionally reached out to the fringe people, the, 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 the sinners and the tax collectors and the lepers, folks that looked a whole lot like you and me. Thomas was there in the boat when the storm came up, crazy waves and wind, total chaos, and they are terrified. Even the fishermen, James and John and Andrew and Peter, they thought it was all over. Jesus has stood up and told the storm to be still, and it was still, from crashing waves to dead calm. Thomas was there when Jesus fed the the thousands with five loaves and two fish. Thomas was there when Jesus raised Lazarus. And Thomas was there on that last fateful night, right before things got crazy, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and washed Thomas' feet, and then broke bread with them and said, this is my body, and drank from the cup with them and said, this is my blood. Thomas was there that last night when Jesus said, someone here would betray me and deny me. He was there when Jesus told them all this, And then in the same breath said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Trust in God. Believe also in me. Trust in me. That same night, Jesus went on to describe heaven. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If it was not true, I would have told you, but I'm going there to to prepare a place for you. I'll come back for you. You guys know the way. Thomas, honest Thomas, says, I love Thomas here because he reminds me of us at times, of me, the slow guy in the back with the hand raised up saying, I I don't know what you're talking about, Lord. Whoa, 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 whoa. Lord, we don't have a clue where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus tells Thomas and all those who are listening, I, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, finally, Thomas is there when they go to the garden and Jesus is arrested by the soldiers, ultimately condemned to die on a Roman cross. And that's when the whole thing starts falling apart for Thomas. He runs from the scene lest he get arrested and condemned too. He saw the others too. They ran. In my mind's eye, Thomas ran further and faster. He could not get away fast enough and he hides out of fear and exhaustion but mostly fear. And as he hides, he begins to replay the days leading up to this night in his mind, begins to replay the last three years of his life. Maybe this whole thing was a house of cards. Maybe this whole thing was just some scam. Maybe some crazy plot. Nothing, nothing seems to make sense now. And Thomas begins to pull away from this whole thing. The one he believed in and trusted Jesus dead and buried in a tomb. He grieves for his friend Jesus. But his other friends, he begins to pull away from them too. He can't believe how this is all played out. Can't believe it. Can't believe it. Who would believe it? And Thomas is not with them that first Easter night. And I'm thinking he's begun to check out and pull away. The others are all there. He's the only one that's not there. 
And now we hear this crazy story that Jesus, Jesus, the one they crucified, is not dead. They've seen him. You should have been there, they told him. It was amazing. You should have been there, Thomas. And Thomas is not buying it. Nope. Not going there. It smells like a scam. Looks like a scam. Tastes like a scam. It's a scam. Scam stories. I asked some friends and family members if they've ever been scammed. And what was that like? And what would it take to trust again in a similar situation? Here's their stories. A friend of mine shared this. I'm not sure I would use the word scammed, but definitely betrayed by someone, something I thought I could trust. And earning back that trust is hard, really hard. Another good friend shared this story. It was through one of those Christian dating apps. I was so apprehensive and leery of more rejection, she said. But I stepped out in faith. I created a profile and waited. Some interest, but nothing local, so waited some more. And along comes this quote-unquote perfect person. I get sucked in. He says all the right things. Sucked in some more. Guard lowered. Wouldn't it be nice to be in a relationship again? And didn't this just seem so perfect? He asked for some help. You guessed it. Money, and then more money, and then still more money. But promises, promises, promises. Trust granted, trust violated. I'd given him the benefit of the doubt. And this person went on, feelings of tremendous hurt and distrust and disappointment and stupidity. What an idiot I was. How can a person knowingly do this to another person? Such hurtful and misleading lies. And I'm struggling, this person says, I'm struggling with forgiving this person. With God's help, I'm trying to forgive this person because in reality, I'm praying God's conviction all over them and a big, big thorn in his side to remind what he did. But I know not forgiving doesn't hurt him in the least, but can be destructive to me. And I realize that. So I'm diligently, all these years later, moving on, quote-unquote, from another friend and a Christian brother. Almost weekly, I get a phone call from someone who is trying to scam me. A couple of times, I've shared information before I realize that it's a scam and then shut it down. From a sister in Christ, yes, I was scammed or conned by an ex-boyfriend more than 20 years ago. And the short story is that I, I loaned him money, which he made a couple of payments to begin to repay, and then he disappeared. It greatly has affected my trust issues in dating. Grr, she writes. And that's after 20 years. And someone shared with me how their investment institutions were hacked. Scammers trying multiple times to open up a credit card's account in their name. Fortunately, the banks caught this. But then within the last month, someone gets a hold of their ID information and files a fraudulent unemployment claim. There's a debit card issued in everything. It's a it's a real mess, she says. And last, the last scam story, and it's my dad's story. Grant, phone rings. Grandpa, it's me, Jake, my son. You doing okay? How's Grandma? Grandpa, I'm in trouble and I need your help. I'm in Spain with some of my buddies on spring break. Mom and Dad don't know I'm here. We got arrested on some drummed-up drug charges, and they say if we don't make bail and go before the judge and clear this whole thing up, they're going to throw away the key. Grandpa, we messed up. We're in some jail in Spain. Please don't tell Mom and Dad. Some official person from the jail is going to call you in a bit. 
and tell you how to get bail money to me. $5,000. Please, Grandpa, I need your help. My dad goes to the bank to withdraw the $5,000, and the banker asks questions. My dad finally calls. My son calls me, finds out Jake is not on spring break. He's at school at Boise State. Goes to the, my dad goes to the police. You've been scammed or almost scammed. It happens all the time. My dad, more than anything, he was embarrassed that he got sucked in. He kept telling me that, that it sounded like my son. It sounded like Jake. The man on the phone, he knew stuff. He asked about grandma. He knew grandma was sick. My dad, dad ran his own business for years. He was never scammed. But sometimes when it gets personal, when it hits close to home, when someone we love is in trouble, we lower our guard sometimes, don't we? Scammers. They can sound so legit playing on our emotions. They make it personal. Pastor Reich shared a similar story with his mom. Simple question, do you, do you think we're born skeptics? Do you think we're born skeptics? Do you think we come out of the womb not trusting? Or do we learn to be skeptical along the way? I think most of us, if not all of us, our default is to trust. But then along the way, we learn that doesn't always work. We learn how to be skeptics. We get burned once or twice or ten times. We start building walls around ourselves, brick by brick, by brick. Not going to let anyone in. Not going to let anybody hurt me anymore. Nope, not letting anyone in. Maybe all of us have been scammed at some time. But have you ever been burned by the church? If you've ever been burned by anyone who calls ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, if we've burned you or hurt you or let you down, or tricked you in any way, how likely are you going to join in and follow this Jesus? Or come back to the church. What's it going to take to earn your trust back? What's it going to take for you to trust church folks again? Especially so if we don't look any different than the, than the rest of the world. If our agenda is anything different than loving God with everything we've got and loving the things God loves, our neighbors even the ones that are different than us. We don't have a chance of those folks coming back. What's it going to take to earn someone's trust back? A miracle? A miracle maybe? Thomas said, unless I put my finger in the holes in his hands, unless I put my hand in the hole in Jesus' side, unless I witness a miracle, I will not believe. Back to the gospel story. A week later, the disciples are again gathered in that same house. The doors again are locked. But this time, Thomas is with them. His words say one thing. I don't believe you guys. I've been fooled before. I'm not going to be fooled again. But his actions, they hint at another. Maybe, Thomas is thinking, maybe, well, just maybe, well, shoot, why would they lie to me about this? Maybe, just maybe, against all the odds, could it be that, that Jesus is alive? Thomas is invited to be with them this night. And against all the voices in his head, against all the tapes that play over and over again in his head that tell him not to let his guard down, not to trust, not to believe, he shows up this week later, not knowing what to expect, but hoping against hope, praying for a miracle. But we all know this. It's pretty hard to trust again 
when you've been burned. Back to John's Gospel, chapter 20, picking it up in the 26th verse. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Then Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. When I ask some folks, when I ask some of you folks, what would it take to trust again after you've been scammed or burned? Your answers were raw and honest and real, and I thank you for sharing. Some of you use different words than scammed. You use words like betrayed, deceived, conned, lied to. You shared that most of you defaulted, you def, most of you defaulted to trust. But then when that trust was violated, it was really, really tough to trust again. You felt embarrassed, upset, angry, afraid, but mostly skeptical. And all the people from Missouri said, show me, show me with actions because I'm not buying into your words anymore. One person told me when asked, what would it take to overcome feelings of mistrust in a similar situation? They flat out said, I'm never doing it again. It's, It's that plain and simple. I'm not doing it again. I'm not falling for it. No more. That same person shared, I've also become guarded in my other relationships. Once trust has been broken, they said, the dynamics of the relationship change as a means of self-protection. I don't want to be hurt anymore like that. Another shared, I always feel some level of anger when someone tries to scam me. It makes me distrust the world. It's like walking through the desert and knowing that there are predators lurking, so you always have to be aware. My brain says that you can't let your guard down as long as the predators exist. A friend of mine that works for another church, he shared, earning back trust is hard. And I usually default to trust, and you've got to work really hard to earn it back once violated. But for me, this friend is saying, but for me, the first step is contrition and then an apology. And I need to see that followed up with action consistent with that contrition and the change of heart that should come with it, quote-unquote. The last part of the story, Jesus shows up. The miracle happens. It's not a ghost or a figment of their imagination, but Jesus in the flesh shows up. And he addresses Thomas directly. Thomas, put your finger here in the hole in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. And I imagine Thomas standing there awestruck, Terrified in one sense, amazed in another, just like the woman who first encountered Jesus that Easter morning. She ran away terrified and amazed. In my mind's eye, Thomas first looked at Jesus' face, and then at his hands, and then at his side. Seeing it all, and replaying it all against the other voices in his head and heart, And Jesus, with all the love of the Father, says with a big smile, a warm smile, a loving smile, stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. And Thomas prays the most beautiful believer's prayer, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Pastor Ike shared last Sunday some scary statistics about folks who have stepped away from the church. Early on in this pandemic, I remember hearing these, these numbers, scary numbers as well, for baby boomers, my age group, approximately 25 of folks that used to go to church have stopped going. For Gen Xers, it's close to 35% of folks that used to go to church have stopped. For, men, for millennials, it was closer to 50% somewhere between a quarter and half the folks that used to come to church pre-pandemic have stopped coming or watching online. Scary and sad numbers. And how do we turn that, how do we turn that around as a church? And I'm not so sure if I know the answer. And I know it's not an easy answer. Donald Miller shares a story from his book, Blue Like Jazz, about a group of college kids on their campus setting up a confessional on their quad. And the confessional was not one where folks would come and confess their sins like in the Catholic Church, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. But it was one where the college kids who were running this, Christian kids, would confess to anyone that would listen and come to their confessional. They were confessing to them how the church had probably let them down, how the church had sinned against them. How the church had not always been a place of forgiveness and grace. How the church had not been a hospital for the hurting and the prodigals. How the church had said that all were welcome. And what, they, what that really meant was that if you looked like them or believed like them, come on in. Not so much everybody else. And these college kids who were running the confessional on behalf of the church were asking folks for forgiveness. They, in fact, were speaking blessing into these other college kids. They were speaking truth to them. And they were onto something because folks responded. People lined up to go to this confessional. Folks responded about the need for reconciliation between some hurting people and a church that at times has been very hurtful. Maybe we all need to start there with confession, how we have blown it, and not just corporately, but individually too. And I'm not trying to be um, over, overly critical here. I'm just trying to be honest. Why did college kids respond to this confessional idea on the college campus? Because there was a need for the church to say to these kids in the world, we're sorry, we've messed up, we've been wrong before, will you forgive us? I'm sorry we felt scammed. And those of us who profess to be believers in this Jesus, we are all part of the body of Christ. We have all been called to feed the lambs, take care of the sheep, and feed the sheep. We've been called to go... Go be the body of Christ. Go be the hands and feet of Jesus to a, to a world that has been scammed and conned and deceived and lied to. Our call, our call is to go be real and honest with folks with no agenda other than to point to the source of truth, Jesus. And then try and love folks the way Jesus loved us. Go love folks the way the good Samaritan did to that Jewish man beat up and left her half dead on the side of the road. The religious guys, you remember? They crossed over to the other side of the road. We can't be like that. Don't be like that. Our call is to go show the world filled with doubting Thomases what it really looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to end this message with, with two things. First, a confession that we do together, and then a challenge, something I want you to start thinking about right now. But first, if we could do the confession together and pray this confession together. 
most merciful God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And all God's people said, Amen. And here's the challenge. Go show some people what Jesus looks like. Go show some people what Jesus looks like. Doubting Thomas, honest Thomas said he couldn't believe in Jesus, the risen Jesus, until he could see him, until he could touch him and know he was real. Jesus is charged to us. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. Go show some folks what Jesus looks like. Go show some skeptical folks what Jesus looks like. Right now, if you could, think of someone you know who needs to know or be reminded that they are loved. Today, tomorrow, this week, go show them what that love looks like. I was tempted to list some things out here, some ideas on how to do this, but really, God's just asking us in some real way to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Go love on some folks in your life with no agenda, no paybacks required, just because that's our charge. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you, Jesus said. Go show folks what Jesus looks like. Listen to the Holy Spirit whispers in your own heart, in your own life, for ways that you can show the love of Jesus to someone in your life. Go make faith real to them. And remember, we we will be blessed too as we express God's love. We also receive it. Go show folks what Jesus looks like. Don't tell tell folks about Jesus. Don't tell folks about Jesus' love. Go be it. I can't wait to hear the stories. Jesus loves you guys, and I do too.